you know, when I think of metrics programs, you always start with what you can measure. Uh, but, but many people never get to the point of what should they measure and, and what's really going to be impactful. And, and, you know, like ask yourself, what are the five questions that you're really trying to answer with the data? Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. That's Drew Simonis, CISO at Juniper Networks, former CISO at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, former CISO at Willis. You get the idea. Drew has been a security executive for some time and at some pretty impressive places. Now, Drew's been on the show before in a fantastic conversation about doing more with less in cybersecurity. It was such a good and informative and enjoyable conversation that I asked Drew to come back on down to the ranch. I followed Drew on LinkedIn, and he recently posited that there are many things in cybersecurity that we believe but cannot prove. Since it was his idea, I asked him to come discuss the topics with me and take apart some of the great conversation we generated on LinkedIn. Drew, thank you so much for coming on back to the ranch. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Alan. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. All right. So you were the source of this LinkedIn post, uh, this whole idea of things we believe but can't prove. What what inspired the whole idea in the first place? Well, you, you know, I, I think we as an industry really are much more dogmatic than than we ought to be. We tend to look at the the future based on the past and 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 we look for patterns that we've seen before and and we try to apply those patterns to things that are unknown and you know whether this is the the echo chamber that that tends to be some events where you go to and it's just the same content over and over and over again like we 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 just don't seem to be learning as a profession and and when i think about people that are stuck in that kind of rut, I, I just wonder like how much of this dogma is, is uh, uh, just seeping into the state of the art or, or what we perceive to be state of the art. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a great, that's a great point. It's, it's bigger than just uh, getting into the underpinnings of assumptions. It's, it's getting into the nuances of why the heck some things aren't working that ought to be working. And, and I think echo chamber is a brilliant idea. I think we all get caught up there. A lot in so many different ways. And you know, I've had many echo chamber conversations before. Sometimes it's about the technical. Sometimes it's about the culture. I think cybersecurity echo culture, especially on LinkedIn, uh, it's very easy for us to fall into this trap of all just echoing each other's stuff. So that's a great inspiration. Um, So how about the LinkedIn thread? What were some of the favorites from the LinkedIn thread that you picked out? Oh, gosh, there were uh, a lot of comments. I thought it was really fun to watch people enjoy that conversation because, first and foremost, it's good to see that people are desiring the challenge, that that people want to look critically at our profession. And, and that's, to me, the first sign of a desire for growth. And, and uh, w- with that growth, I think, is an opportunity to do some do some things differently. The the one that jumps out to me, and it's probably closest to my heart, uh, so it's my bias, but the, the whole thread uh, and multiple comments about risk assessments, risk prioritization, are, are we are we really even solving problems? Do we do we have the ability to even know whether we're solving the right problems if we're solving any at all? That was that was really interesting yeah, yeah. to me. Yeah, Matthew Dimmick, Brian, uh, was it Brian Campbell? A bunch of folks chimed in on that risk thing. Um, and I made some notes from those. Those are definitely some of my favorite ones. So 
So if we're not, if we're making assumptions that we can't prove, if we believe things we can't prove about risk, doesn't that sort of tump the whole cart? Right. It does. Because uh, I, I, I don't remember who said it. It was in a book about risk management. It said, if your risk, man- if your risk management process is broken, that's your biggest risk. Because you, you, you almost like these um, uh, hallucination type attacks in AI, like you think you understand the world and you think you're making decisions based on a, a reality that may not be true. It, it may just be a delusion that we're all wrapped up in. And for some people, it may be um, because it, it it's a presents them a set of problems they feel they can solve. For others, it presents them a set of problems that that they can go to sleep with at, at the end of the day and not feel overwhelmed by. Uh, but for whatever reason, if it's not the real set of problems that is going to derail the business or put personal information or uh, intellectual property or or some some <laughs> increasing probability of circumstances like real critical infrastructure and people's lives are, are at risk. And, and so if, if we're not making decisions about how to best protect those then then we're wasting the critical resources that we have, which are very precious and sparse. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, it, it, it makes me think. The bad guys, you know, we, we oftentimes compare ourselves to the bad guys. Put, your, put yourself in the shoes of the bad guy. Think like the bad guy. You know, think, think evil, do good, right? We have all these silly mantras in our industry about, about that, that, that fundamental paradigm of trying to act like them. I can guarantee you there's not a one of them uses the word risk in his daily life. He doesn't care about risk. He's, he's not, I, I'm over here juggling a world of risk and he's over here looking at a world of attack surface, right? Yeah. Like Oppor- opportunity. Yeah. Opportunity is a great word for what he's doing, right? I'm talking about risk. He's talking about opportunity and there the twain shall meet unless the risk actually is accurately measured, accurately deployed and tied directly to opportunity, right? And this is where I came up with a couple, couple of years ago on LinkedIn, I had a, a model for risk that sort of broke the entire likelihood and impact paradigm. And I basically talked about it in the sense of a value of an asset of an asset with the likelihood that that asset would actually be exposed. It, it was a little, it was a nuanced difference on, on likelihood and impact. And it, it basically had to do with, you had to value the asset first and, and without calculating the asset value, you're not even calculating risk in reality. Um, and that's different from impact, right? And, and it's, it's how the bad guys operate. So if we're lost in a world of, Oh, we risk this and risk that and look at our five by five that we all know and love, or even, even if it's fair, or even if it's Bayesian or Monte Carlo Sims, if you don't understand how it works, if you're not applying it well, if you're just juggling this realm and calling it risk, 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 I can guarantee you that's not where the bad guys are at. And there was a, you know, I failed to find this study again, uh, but I remembered it. It, it, it struck, this was 15, 20 years ago that I first found it. And, and it was not at all about cyber or anything technical. It was about, uh, basically nuclear war. Uh, and, and the, the, the study was focused on is, is probabilistic risk assessment even possible in an adversarial situation? You know, like, there you go. yeah, because like a hurricane doesn't have intent. It doesn't, it doesn't target you. Um, but a, a, a threat actor does, and they will do the thing that you thought they wouldn't if it's going to get them to that asset, which has the value they want. So, so a hurricane, you know, it doesn't have any intent. Uh, a hurricane doesn't mean you any harm, but, but an attacker does. And, and the difference is an attacker will do the thing that is least likely and, and 
target you in the place that you thought was uh, totally without interest. And, and, and with the nature of the complex infrastructure and applications and identities and all the, the things that we have, they can move from that, that apparently benign system to your crown jewels. If you look at Target, was, was, was uh, uh, an HVAC contractor. I mean, and, and that's the other thing uh, to, to one of the points about, like, do we, do we understand the system? Do we know how all these complex interconnections have been built? And uh, do we have the time or do we take the interest to go and map it out in the way that an attacker will? So, uh, you know, I, I often exactly. think that, that attackers have a side business of creating network uh, diagrams and, and, and application inventories that they're really missing as a business opportunity. There you go. There you go. And it's, it's back to what I was saying about, you know, they're not doing the same activity we are. They're just not. They're, they don't care about risk. They're not mapping risks. They're mapping attack surface. They're mapping opportunity. That's a great word you used, opportunity. It's, yeah. And, and you're right. Hurricanes are arbitrary. Attackers are not. Um, they're, they're all about the easiest way in, right? The hurricane's just going to yeah, slam the door. It's just going to do what it does. Uh, the attacker's going to try every door and every window to figure out the best way to break into the house, right? There's a big difference in that. Yeah, and, and when you say think evil, do good, our best attempt at thinking evil is the red team. But too many people, uh, you know, use a much more purple team approach. Not that purple teams are bad, but they're not red teams in that the, the defender has knowledge and that knowledge gives them biases and and assumptions that the attacker doesn't have and and so you know they behave much more like uh, an informed insider even if they don't want to it's impossible to let go of the knowledge that we don't really manage our directory really well so i'm going to go do that because guess what that's probably an easy win for me and i get to put my marker in and go home and call myself successful uh, where an attacker really does have uh, uh, that novice's view, that 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 uh, that total lack of awareness, and and they're going to pursue things in an entirely different way. You know that that ties into Dwayne Grant's comment. He had one that I thought was really profound. He said, "We uh, we measure something once in cybersecurity, and once we've measured it, it has the magical property of seeming important, even though it sometimes isn't." Uh, for example, we say, oh, look, we, we patched X vulnerabilities and now we care about that because we can measure it. We bandy it about as if it matters. We, we pick up the sticks we can pick up. And then we say, look, 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 I have important sticks in my hand. No, you have the sticks you happen to be able to pick up. There's, there's a million sticks under the pile that may be far more important that, that you haven't picked up and looked at yet. But it's because you've picked it up and looked at it that now that's the stick you're showing. Yeah, it's a brilliant point. And, and it really does resonate. You, you know, when I think of metrics programs, you always start with what you can measure. Uh, but, but many people never get to the point of what should they measure and, and what's really going to be impactful. And, and, you know, like ask yourself, what are the five questions that you're really trying to answer with the data? And does the metric that you're developing answer one of those questions? Or just does it happen to be something to your point that you can measure? And it's it, it, maybe even it's something you can measure that you can drive action with, but it might not be the right action to solve the problem that's at hand. And, and that's back to dogma, right? Where people do the things that we ought to do because we're sure that that's the state of the art. Uh, not necessarily that is going to be impactful. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's, um, 
and, and we're back to that disparity of perspectives, right? Because it ties back into that same same phenomenon. The, I can guarantee you the attackers aren't aren't suffering that same syndrome you just described. Yeah. They're not. Well, and 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 yeah. there was a there was a, a just a for me there was a common thread throughout the commentary, uh, whether it was risk assessment, risk prioritization, uh, problem solving, or whether it was behavior and training. Uh, humans being the weakest link or securing the insecure, things that are designed badly, retrofitting security. You know, all of this is, is to me, a symptom of, of our industry playing a one-sided tennis match. You know, we're flinging balls and we're trying to, we're trying to have somebody to play with us, the business or the technologists who are building software that we're purchasing or whoever that might be. We're trying to solve this problem alone and and we're telling people that we can solve it alone because that's cool. It makes us feel important, whether it's a technician who's playing the role of, of uh, problem solver or a security leader who's playing the role of empowered executive or anyone in between, you know, the more we think we are acting independently and owning the problem and being a responsible person, uh, the, the, the harder the problem gets because uh, this is a team sport and, and we need people to help us, but we also need people to, to enable and work with us. And if we don't know how to have those conversations with those other parties, then this never going to improve. And that was another one of the themes, you know, change management communications and, and how do we really do those things? Yeah. Graham, Graham Lewenden, um, he, he summarized that one, like, like almost ruthlessly. He said, one of our mistaken beliefs is that our industry adds value and is valued by the businesses we serve, right? Like, like there's this almost delusion of uh, grandeur or a, or a self-importance component to what we do. Like, like we believe this and they probably don't down the hall. You know, marketing knows they've got to get some stuff done. They've got a SaaS app they want to get online tomorrow, uh, if not yesterday. And here we are, self-important, marching down the hallway with a security questionnaire or whatever the vetting process is for their SaaS app. And we're all like, look at us adding value to the business. And they're like, look at yeah. us getting in well, my and, way. And if you pin some security people to the wall, we don't even believe that those questionnaires work, as an example. You know, the I think most of yeah, us don't. Yeah, we just do it because we're supposed to do it. And, and, and so now we have this theater taking place where we don't even believe it. And yet we're, we're, we're delaying critical business objectives because of it. And doing so, uh, again, not to overuse the word, but just dogmatically, rigorously, without thinking and without adapting and adopting new practices. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And, and that ties into another one that I thought was very profound. Um, Dmitry Sokolovsky, uh, he says information security teams don't have sufficient budgets. This is the this is the thing we believe that we can't prove, that, that information security teams don't have sufficient budgets. And he says, you know, this is all part of market conditions, investments and returns on, on, you know, investments in return data, competency level of the managers involved, et cetera, et cetera, that there's a million and one variables and factors that dictate who should and shouldn't get budgets, Right. Um, and, and, and again, if we act like we're doing this in a vacuum, if we act like we're not part of a greater whole, if we act like this is a solo sport, here we are hitting the tennis balls against the wall as vigorously as we can and, and admiring our yeah, own swing. Great serve. Right? Um, yeah, look at that great serve I just did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's to your point, it's, it's missing the mark. It's, it's, it's off the trail from where it needs to be. Let's pause right there real quick for a word from our sponsor. Do you want to make cloud security risks a no brainer? 
and remove friction between your security and dev teams? Well, Daz takes the pain out of the cloud remediation process using automation and intelligence to discover, reduce, and fix security issues. Lightning fast. Daz prioritizes alerts, shrinks backlog to actionable root causes, and improves mean time to remediation from weeks to hours. And best of all, keeps your developers focused on what they love doing most, coding. Visit daz.io slash demo and see for yourself. That's D-A-Z-Z dot I-O slash demo. We don't know how to make a business case. We don't even think we need to make a business case because what we do, we've become so invested in that we think the outcome and the value is self-evident. And, and so, you know, Jack Jones uh, uh, tells this wonderfully funny story about early in his career, really what drove him to develop the FAIR model, which is when when asked about how much risk his company was in, his best answer was lots. And uh, how much less or, or how, how much risk would be after the investment of millions of dollars for the security program? And he said his best answer was less. You know, I mean, yeah, less, less than lots. lots. <laughs> uh, and, and that's really how we, we approach these things because we can't measure the real status quo. We can't really measure our impact. We blame that on other people like humans are the weakest link. Well, humans are only the weakest link because we're building insecure systems that are not usable in a secure way by humans. So, uh, and, and then we blame the complexity of what we've had to develop on other people not being able to navigate it. Uh, you know, it, 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 to me, when I hear budget, I always hear prioritization. And are, are you doing things that matter to the success of the company. If you are, and you can demonstrate that, then the funding is there. Like your point about the SaaS app for marketing, they can show you it's going to improve the customer conversion or prospect conversion to customer, whatever metric they have. They can, and then, then they can measure that. And, and it either does or it doesn't happen. Our world is a lot harder to make those straight line connections. And, and we struggle with that. Right, right. And this is where you get back into, you know, people talk about business alignment and I'm always like, no, 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 no. It's, it's got to go one level deeper than that. You don't align with a business. You be the business. business. You you are part of it. You are, you are sitting with marketing and you are saying, so we have a goal. We have a goal of customer conversion. Got it. Okay. Let's work through how security and marketing can jointly do that in a cool way that doesn't introduce new risk to the organization. Right. Because that's what we tend to like to do is, is we like to become the risk in a way that we don't understand, but they do. They, they, the business stakeholders get that. um, You know what, if there's a 20% chance that I'm going to suffer a breach uh, and it's going to cost me a million dollars and I've got to spend $500,000 on you with some sort of preventative that you can tell me might take that 20 to a 10 well, then, then you've just guaranteed me uh, a half million dollar exposure. And, and, and I'm, I'm kind of happy to take the risk because business people take risk as a part of their nature. And, and so we don't understand who we're talking to, how we can move them, and uh, really the way that they see us versus how we see ourselves. Yeah. You know, you know this is why as CISO... I have such a strong product background, and as a CISO, I, I refuse to not CISO without being, without reveling in that product background, without bringing it up, without bringing it to the fore. I've got, you know, because you know I'm running my own consulting practice now, and I've got multiple clients, and every one of those clients, I am as directly involved in product as I can possibly be. And it's instinct for me at this point because I grew up in product security, not in enterprise security. 
but but as a CISO, if you are not, in my opinion, involving yourself in product, you are doing it wrong. Product is the business. Getting the thing out the door to make the money to fuel the thing, to get the next thing out the door to make the money to fuel the thing. This is business. That is the definition of business. And if you are off to the sidelines watching the product go by and, and complaining about it, <laughs> <laughs> look, look, it's doing it with risk. You yeah, know, like, yeah. like, what are you you're doing? You're not part of the solution. What are you you're doing? You're not part of, like, uh, uh, this whole notion that, and 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 this is the compliance poison, really, that, that these people have ingested, which is, I'll sit at the end of your process and point out how flawed you are you you are or your output is and and instead of taking the time to learn about the process and engage at the onset and and, and be part of that design and, and build something that is securable we just it's a lot easier to go and point out people's flaws i suppose than to become part of the problem like involve yourself in it and and, and in doing so hopefully become part of the solution so yeah it's it's almost like the um you know the after the fact critic you know Ignore business. Like, like, just think about your daily life. You're building cabinets in the kitchen and your father-in-law shows up on the last day and shows you how you have a crooked joint here. And, and you could have curled that, that, that lip there. And, and if you'd have put the hinges over here, the door would have swung this way instead of that way. And after you've put in all the hard work and all the hard effort, you know, somebody comes along. I'm just saying father-in-law. Mine's, mine's not that uncool, but I'm just picking someone at random that might appear in your kitchen and, and criticize all your good work after it's done. It's an unenjoyable feeling. I don't care who you are. You're proud of what you've built. And yeah, there's probably some stuff you realized or learned on the way. And, you know, it could have been better. And yeah, I probably should have gone with this instead of that. And wouldn't those hidden hinges have been better? Whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, you've done it. You've built it. And now someone's standing there going, well, you know. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> and nobody enjoys that experience. Like if, if you're that guy, the well, you know, guy, um, who in the business is going to want to listen to you? Right. Who's going to want to work with you? Yeah, I, I sure wouldn't. Uh, and, and just the language that we use, like we refer to the rest of the company as the business. Like, what are we? You know, I, I, to your point, you know, we're, we're supposed to be part of this whole. We're supposed to be here to support the company's overall success. And we talk about it and them as if we're separate entities. And, exactly. and it makes it easier then to do those things because now we're not criticizing something that we're involved in. We're criticizing something that really we're abstracted from. And, and that kind of, that kind of takes us away from really being part of the solution in my, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, look at the CEO talking to the ELT. All right. Here's the CEO. We'll call her Mary. Mary is talking to the executive leadership team and Mary's got sales and Mary's got marketing and Mary's got general counsel and Mary's got CIO. And Mary's got CFO to keep her in check and make sure the money's not being blown and all the different roles, right? What in Mary's mind is going on when she's addressing ELT? She's addressing a team and that team has one stated mission and purpose and that is to make the business be successful. Now, over here is the CIO who already is possibly regarded by Mary as a little bit of an overhead kind of annoyance in the way. But if it's a proactive CISO, somebody who is being the business or CIO rather, um, that CIO is going to be driving initiatives. That CIO is going to be actually bringing to the table and saying, hey, you guys were talking about opening up a whole new market over and such and such. You know what? If we switch from this platform to that platform, I can probably knock 30% off our overhead. We'll have support for this new language. And, you know, like, like proactively reaching out there with IT solutions to empower and enable specific business initiatives. Now, reporting to that CIO in most cases is the CISO. 
who's not even in the room. Mary doesn't even talk to. If the CIO is already at risk of not being proactive and engaged, the CISO is even more at risk of not being proactive and engaged. And, and at the end of the day, Mary's view is these are a group of people who are seeing my business to success jointly, collectively, collaboratively. Who's this guy? Who's this guy in my office? What is he talking about risks? And, and, and what do you mean a million dollars? It's it, you've divorced yourself from the actual core purpose of the whole thing. Yeah. What are, what are we trying to do? Yeah, I, I had a great conversation early in my career and it, it kind of opened my eyes to this, this way of thinking where I was talking to a business leader who was uh, kind enough to, to be honest with me and, and, and sort of was looking at me and said, why do you assume we hadn't thought about that? You know, the, the issue we were talking about, it's like, why, oh. why do you assume right? That we don't recognize that we're taking a risk, but we're, we're, we're not a bunch of idiots. Like we've been doing this a long time too. And, and we understand that we're taking a risk because that's how you get that return. And we think the return is worth the risk. And we're doing the things that we can to minimize that risk. Why would you assume that we're not? Why would you assume that we're ignorant? And, uh, you know, it was really like, yeah, I, because we, we've, again, our industry has created this notion that they, the business, don't understand security. And, and maybe they don't in the detail. Like they don't maybe know the difference between traditional antivirus and EDR. But they certainly recognize that there's bad people trying to do bad things that are going to get in their way. And, and, and to some extent, they want us to be part of that conversation to help them navigate that. But, but to do so in a way that is collaborative, as you said, and, and not dismissive or, or, uh, diminishing of, of, of their own contributions. Yeah. They, they know what ransomware is, right? they they know that everyone knows what ransomware is, right? Everyone understands ransomware can be catastrophic. Everyone knows that. I don't care who you are. Marketing knows that I've heard of ransomware. I've heard of whole businesses getting shut down, like happened to my friend down the street, right? They know this. And, and to your point about risk, you know, Andy Ellis was on the show and he was talking about the fact that business is risk. It's not just that it's integral. Like there is no separation of business and risk. You are taking all of your dollars you have today and you're saying, you know what? We're going to put 80% of them on this brand new thing we haven't created yet. 20% to sustain this other thing that we think will, will continue to bring us a profit of X. Like it's all guesswork. It's all prediction. It's, it's all hope. It's all, there's risk to all of it, right? We've done our market research and it seems like this product's going to continue to sell well for two years. So if we put it in maintenance mode, don't add new features to it, but continue to invest X dollars. We should see X.2 or X.3 dollars on return and da 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 da. Okay, this is all, you know, it's not uninformed, but it is risk. It is 100% risk. We're going to create a whole new product and hope, hope that our competitors aren't creating the same product at the same time. We're going to hope that we get it out the door. Yeah, they, they may be doing it better. They may get it out quicker. We may become the second banana, even though we thought we were the first banana, right? Like, there's risks to absolutely every facet of what you do as a business. Business is exchanging risk for profit. That's what business is. So, yeah. So, so if that's, if that's business and, and they live and swim in risk, then us coming and saying, but, but, but big risk, you know, okay. Characterize that risk in terms of the positives. Cause that's what they want to hear. They, they measure risk all day long, but they're countering it at every turn with a, with a positive outcome. How often does the CISO come in and go, here's this great big risk, but here's this positive outcome. Like, let's, let's balance these two and play with those two slider bars. How often does the CISO talk about positive outcomes? 
We talk about negative outcomes. That's all we ever talk about. Well, the 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 great quote, and and it's it, it's not it's not um, one that you hear enough. But I think John Thompson, when I was at Semantic, he was the chief executive, and and he used to say, "You put brakes on cars so they can go faster." And and we have to have that mentality that says, "Yes, we're here to help you avoid pitfalls." But they're in the context of of you're still running full speed ahead, and 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 we have to be able to align those two in a much more effective way than you know just pointing out the flaws or the faults, you know, and 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 that's it just all comes down like all these things, all the comments, whether it was risk assessment, risk prioritization, uh, change management, securing the I mean, they all to me they're tied back to the one thing. Do we really understand what the company that we're employed by is trying to do and how we play a part in enabling that and how, you know, like that's the viewpoint. If, if we, if we view it as how cyber can derail that, that's okay. But how can we enable that is, is, is even better. And, uh, you know, stopping bad from happening is, is one thing, but I think your point is so, so great in that people want to see how can you help good happen? Right. Right. You, you don't come in and say, I've got these million dollar brakes I want to put on the car because this car needs to be able to stop super fast. Yeah, but leave it in park. Like it just needs to be able to stop. That's not how you express it. I'm putting brakes on this car. These brakes are going to cost us a million bucks. These brakes are going to ensure that we can always be traveling at a velocity of 80 miles an hour and never have risk. That anything up to 80 miles an hour, we know these brakes are going to work when they need to work, meaning we've got a cruise velocity of 80. Yeah, and we're going. If you want to spend a million five hundred thousand, I can get you 100 mile an hour brakes. You're, you're talking about the, the projection and the goal and the forward momentum and, and the cost, not not the negative, not the, oh, well, but we got to stop, right? That we, we, CISOs lose themselves that we have to stop. Or we've got to stay in park. Right. Like, right. let's not even, right. let's not don't even go. Don't even start the car. Yeah, let's not even go. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Don't even risky. start the car. Yeah. And, and yep. we have to know, you know, we have to know that we're in a race and, and we have to know, like, this is the difficult balancing act. We're in a personal race. And I think a lot of CISOs, you see this in the, uh, the kind of stress reports that we see. Proofpoint just put one out this week. Uh, how how many uh, CISOs are just going to leave the industry because they can't handle the stress? And I get that. We have really bad people who are really smart and really capable doing harm and targeting us. And more and more, I mean, we you see the the whole situation with uh, uh, with Solar Winds and the Wells Notice by the uh, SEC, like investigating these people personally for decisions they made of, uh, in the context of the the, the Solar Winds event of a couple of years ago. So people feel that their careers are on the line. And, uh, you know, uh, on the other side of the coin, the business is in a race too. You touched on this. Competitors are putting products out too, and they're making different decisions. And in this world, if you're not first, you might as well not be doing it at all in some cases. And and so the business people feel their careers are on the line too. Uh, everyone feels their careers are on the line and and we have to be sympathetic that 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 this is not our our unique problem. No, that's exactly it. It you know, we we act like we're unique, right? We talk about we're the only ones with bad guys actively trying to take us out. Well, you ever been in sales before? If you're in a competitive landscape, unless you happen to be in one of the tiny, tiny percentage of companies who has no competitors, and you're in sales, 
you are actively working against quote unquote bad guys who are there to undermine you, destroy you, set you up. They have playbooks that are authored and written by people who do mounds and mounds and mounds of research specifically to make you look bad, you know, and you come in to sell your thing. And here's this other sales guy from the other company already came through. Yeah, already. already and now gave, you're on the defense. Already gave him talking points against every one of your strengths. Exactly. Exactly. And and pointed out all your weaknesses, right? And now you're trying to sell against an adversary, yeah. right? So don't say we're the only ones with an adversary. Sales faces adversaries every freaking day. Yeah, and, and right? these people are probably and taking don't them say to your dinner. careers on the line. We're not paid commission, dude. That's right. We get salaried regardless of the outcome. Sales guy, he doesn't get paid if he doesn't win. Yeah, his dinner's on the line. Or her dinner's His on the dinner line. His dinner is on the line. So so let's get off our high horse and quit acting like we're in some unique snowflake realm of, oh, but we're the only ones with adversaries whose careers are at stake. And look at Joe Sullivan. And, you know, like, no, dude. Yeah. No. Everybody. Every sales guy since the dawn of time has been up against these same pressures we are. Well, and 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 every product leader who's who's rolling out a new idea and, and again, hoping the industry buys it, hoping that the customers love it. If, if that person's wrong or if they're slow or if it's not the right uh, quality or uh, not in the right time, uh, you know what? Might as well never have been done in the first place. Right, right. And and word gets around depending on your industry, right? I was thinking of that documentary on the guy that invented the Air Jordans, right? Like the, oh, yeah, uh, the yeah. documentary. It's the, the, yeah. the, the based on <laughs> true story movie that's out right now. Yeah, the docudrama. Um, but But think about it. What if that guy had failed? His personal rep in the entire sneaker industry, he was the one that pushed for this, fought it, fought for it, swore he could pull it off, like managed to convince her. It's a success story. That's why it's a movie. It's a success story. But if he had failed, would that guy have had a job down the street at the next shoe factory? Probably not. Yeah. Well, maybe making the shoe. Right. Right. But certainly not being the the product visionary. Right. I mean, there's risk with every product visionary. There's risk with every sales cycle. There's risk with... And, and so, yeah, we, we're, we're not special in that regard. We need to quit acting like we, we think we are. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree. More. So how about some more of the tactical ones? I thought there were some interesting ones that came up, you know, and I think you've done a phenomenal job of sort of tying a lot of these uh, comments into a common thread and common theme. But, but you know, specifically, I wanted to drill in just a little bit on uh, Peter Schaubacher. Uh, said that BYOD security is a thing. That was his, huh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's an assumption on our part. BYOD security is a thing. That's one of our assumptions we can't prove. Um, and and he also was one of the ones who chimed in on, you already mentioned this, um, people talking about phishing training and these kinds of things. I, I think at a tactical level, there are some operating assumptions we have um, that tie into these themes we've certainly been discussing, but maybe even are worthy of calling out on their own right. Like, like, is BYOD security ever attainable? Truly? Can't somebody else said, can we, can we ever secure these devices that were designed to be insecure? You know, like iPads or whatever. Um, you know, somebody else said, is, is security awareness training going to work or not work? Like I think Schaubacher himself even said is slash is not going to work. Like there's assumptions on both sides of the aisle on that one. What, what about some thoughts on those two? Rights? Yeah. And there, there was also a comment that, that people will work in uh, opposition to their personal interests, which, you know, like you can train people all they want, but uh, at the end of the day, if they feel they benefit from making that decision or taking that risk, they're probably going to keep doing it. And, and back to prioritization, if the company doesn't value security to the extent we feel that they do, then they're not going to discipline that person for taking that risk. And the culture is going to say we're a risk taking culture. And, and you just got to be aware of, of, of where you are. Uh, the training one is also, it also, to me, resonates with your comment earlier about measuring what we can measure. 
because the phishing tools give us things like click rates and they give us things like they attended their education and they give us things like how they pass their test. What I think sometimes we're training people is to spot our tests. And no matter how hard we work, like at a prior company, we worked really hard at creating phishing simulations that were super realistic, like they were based on actual campaigns that we were encountering. Uh, but we didn't take the time to think that there were certain consistencies in our exercises, uh, IP addresses and, and other things you could see in the header. And it was a very technical organization. And they said, you know what? I mean, we can always spot it. Like we know where this is coming from the training simulation, regardless of what, the, I mean, it could have been a picture of Mickey Mouse and they would have still been able to, to spot it for the exact same reason. So we train people to spot the training and we measure how well they can do that. Where, where I've seen very few organizations actually look at uh, how do you correlate between how you perform on the training and how you actually behave with regard to real phishing campaigns? Like, are you more or less likely to have fallen victim for an actual phishing campaign if you did well on the training? Let's correlate that and see if that matters. Uh, do we need to do that quarterly, annually, semi-annually, or every other year? Um, you know, and so so the whole notion of of the metrics, the measurement, the incentives we create through those measurements, and the behaviors that 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 follow, um, it, it really I'm not sure uh, that that it that it is effective or it's not effective because we we don't really try to prove it one way or the other. Same thing with BYOD, like. Does BYO, does anything, that was another one of the, the comments, does anything we do actually matter? I, I, Alan, I had a really depressing but enlightening conversation with uh, uh, an underwriter from, from an insurer, major insurance brokerage. Uh, and, and he said, look, we've got all this event data as a result of the insurance that we have been providing for the last several years. And we know what causes breaches and we know what practices the companies had in place when they had the breach. And, and he said, the conclusion that we're reaching is most of what you do as an industry doesn't matter. Like it doesn't actually affect the likelihood or impact of a breach. And, uh, and there were just a couple of things. And you can see those couple of things. They make themselves through. If, like if you fill out any insurance questionnaires, there's two or three things they care about. Like they don't ask about a whole bunch of other, like care about multi-factor authentication. They care about, they care about EDR. Uh, like, like there's a few things that, that are impactful and there's a bunch of stuff. Like how long did it take us as an industry to get rid of antivirus or traditional antivirus? Um, it, when we all knew that it, it really wasn't doing anything for us, uh, you know, uh, so, so I think BYOD security, like, do we, do we even have a BYOD problem? Uh, and 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 do we have a solution for it if it's a problem? And how big of a problem is it? What's it worth to solve it? Is our, is it a ten dollar fence around a five dollar horse, or, or is this our biggest problem that we're facing? And we don't know the answers right. to these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm and I'm I, I'm personally like I'm a big believer in this idea that okay, so it's BYOD, but there's some rules. You know, if we're gonna let you on. We're going to give you a couple of thingies on your computer. And as long as, to your point, they're those key right thingies, right? Like EDR has got to be there. Uh, SASE is a good one, I think, that actually, you know, like let's control access to the to the outer world as well. So have an identity agent, have MFA, have EDR, have SASE. Put all that on a, on a BYOD box. It's no less secure than your data 
survey boxes. Well, from right? what, like, what talking about metrics and vulnerability management, one could argue that a, a a benignly neglected BYOD endpoint is more secure than an enterprise managed system. Like they're patched more quickly. I, I think that I think that's and they're patched more consistently through the auto updates that than than many organizations through their management practices. All right. Well, listen, Drew Simonis, thank you so much. Once again, killer conversation. I hope my listeners love this one as much as I did. Uh, any last comments or thoughts for our listeners? I think I think the last the last parting thought is that it, 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 we can do better. I, I think we have a lot of smart people in our industry who are thinking about things differently. And the more we give airtime to those new ideas, the more we let our preconceptions be challenged and get away from this notion that I am a security practitioner because I have ingested and can regurgitate the dogma and uh, and really get to the point where we approach this like a problem that needs to be constantly analyzed because it's changing every single hour of every single day. And what we knew yesterday doesn't matter. Uh, what's what's going to be durable is our ability to understand and analyze and cope with the future. And and that's where we have to get to. That would be my parting shot. I love it, man. Well, thank you so much, Drew, for coming on back to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>